Last week, thousands of migrants gathered under a bridge in Del Rio, Texas, a town on the U.S.-Mexico border. I've covered the border for 16 years. I've never seen anything like this. Our colleague Alicia Caldwell was in Del Rio, and she could hear the camp before she could see it. I could hear it. And the noise, the volume carried, you know, a quarter plus mile. By the end of the week, an estimated 16,000 migrants were camped out there, waiting to apply for asylum in the U.S. And most of the migrants were originally from Haiti. It's two-thirds families with young children. And then the remainder are by and large single adults. And just a handful, a very sort of de minimis number of unaccompanied children. But it was by and large families and pregnant women. Most of these migrants were Haitians, but they hadn't lived in Haiti for a long time. I did not speak to anyone who had come directly from Haiti. They were all Haitian, but they'd been living in South America. There was a mass migration out of Haiti over the last 10 years. So a lot of these folks moved to South America, Chile, Argentina, Brazil. But now, these Haitian migrants are coming north. Welcome to The Journal, our show about money, business, and power. I'm Ryan Knudsen. It's Monday, September 27th. Coming up on the show, why so many Haitian migrants are showing up on America's doorstep. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash journal. Terms and conditions apply. As a nation, Haiti is in turmoil. In July, Haiti's president was assassinated. A power struggle within the government ensued. And to this day, scores of violent gangs roam the capital city of Port-au-Prince, fighting turf wars. And on top of the political upheaval, Haiti suffered an earthquake in August that caused thousands of casualties, and then got hit by a bad tropical storm. But the Haitian migrants at the southern U.S. border weren't fleeing that chaos. They've actually been on a long journey. Our colleague Juan Montez has been reporting on the changing migration patterns in Latin America. This search is not related to the current political turmoil in Haiti. With the assassination of the president, of the 150 criminal gangs controlling Port-au-Prince, that's not why they are coming. The Haitians arriving at the border now aren't coming directly from Haiti. They're coming from South America. All or nearly all are coming from Chile and Brazil. They got there uh, after the, the 2010 earthquake, uh, this huge earthquake that killed 200,000 people in 2010. Uh, that was uh, an enormous crisis. Juan says that Haitians began leaving the country after the 2010 earthquake. But instead of heading north to the U.S., most Haitian migrants went south to South America. 
the economies were booming in, in South America, particularly in Brazil and Chile. They had uh, leftist governments. So they said, for humanitarian reasons, we are going to accept a lot of people. Nearly 200,000 uh, Haitians uh, ended up in Chile, a lot of people. And also lesser numbers in Brazil. And what was it like when they got to Chile? Were, were they welcome? Did they get work? As far as I know, in the first year were pretty good, uh, like the first five years or so. Many of them, yes, they had green cards and jobs. Others were working in the informal economy. But in recent years, there were some xenophobic or racist waves uh, against them and because obviously they are black and Chile is not a black country, you know. In recent years, there were some problems with that. In 2018, a new administration came to power in Chile that took a tougher stance on immigration. The country's new president tightened border security and imposed new visa restrictions. Here he is at a presidential debate before the election, saying that if migrants are able to come into the country freely, they'll bring crime and drugs. In recent years, with the arrival of a new government in Chile in 2018, they changed tack. They overhauled its policy, its immigration policy. They tightened the rules. They didn't grant uh, green cards or they issued warnings that you have to leave Chile in 90 days or in X days. So that instability forced many migrants to leave. And then in 2020, the pandemic made matters worse. Latin America and the Caribbean was the hardest hit economic region in the world, according to the International Monetary Fund. And there have been tremendous uh, economic collapses in many countries, uh, double-digit contractions in many countries. And, well, the, the pandemic has, has ravaged with, with tremendous strength in, in some countries. It's been a huge, the, the impact here, uh, not only in terms of health, but also in terms of, the, of economic contractions. We're talking about tens of millions of jobs lost. In the whole world, the impact has been huge. But here, the, the states are, are weaker. You don't have a, a strong state that can approve, for example, a package of $1 trillion you know, to, to support the economy. This, this country doesn't have fiscal room to do that, to spend that money. So that makes things much worse. And many Haitian migrants saw the U.S. as their best hope. Why the U.S.? Well, they have a very idealized uh, view of the states. They think that there are plenty of work for everybody, that wages are incredible, and they have family there or relatives. One of the Haitian migrants who decided to head north is 30-year-old Evelt Pramin. He lived in Chile for five years. Our colleague Alicia met him at the southern U.S. border, and he told her how difficult his journey had been. Evelt was in Chile, and he spent about three months on the road. He described to me coming through the Darien Gap. So it was incredibly, incredibly difficult. The Darien Gap, one of the most inhospitable places on Earth. It is riddled with people who are looking to kill you. They're bandits, rebels, every 
sort of form of a bad guy you can imagine is in there. And then there's nature. It is a thick, dense, nasty jungle. It is not a place you traverse lightly. La, la situación estaba un poco triste, difícil para mí y mi, mi esposa, porque mi esposa está embarazada de cuatro meses. Evel traveled with his wife, who was four months pregnant. And after months of traveling, they arrived on the Mexican side of the U.S. border across from Del Rio, Texas, along with thousands of other migrants. And why are they going to this particular spot? That's a million-dollar question. There's some thought about safety. Del Rio had developed a reputation of relative safety. And then word of mouth gets around. You call home, you WhatsApp, you're seeing on social media that your cousins, your friends, your brothers, your sisters have come through this area, and this is their experience. And so you follow suit. Was this a caravan of people walking together like we've seen in the past, or something different? It's not thought to be an actual caravan. The Central American caravans were very organized. They happen all the time, a mass migration through South America. Most of the people I talked to said they traveled over 11 countries, but they weren't necessarily together. It was just this moment of inertia where folks started to come now in part because of those economic conditions in places like Chile, amid the pandemic. By the end of last week, 16,000 migrants had arrived on the outskirts of Del Rio, and that presented a challenge for border officials. After the break, what happened when the immigration system got overwhelmed? This episode is brought to you by Indeed. Hiring? With Indeed, your search is over. With over 350 million global monthly visitors and candidate matching technology, Indeed helps you find quality candidates fast. As a listener of this show, Indeed is giving you a £100 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com slash thejournalpod. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This episode of The Journal is brought to you by KPMG. At KPMG, we make the difference. It's not just something we say, it's what we do. We work closely with clients to uncover insights that illuminate opportunity, develop bold solutions that innovate industries, and create better outcomes driven by data. Brighter insights, bolder solutions, better outcomes. It's how our people make the difference. KPMG, make the difference. Once the migrants arrived at the Mexican side of the border, it was easy for them to cross the Rio Grande. The river is just a few feet deep at that point. It wasn't very deep. It was thigh high for me. And I'm about five, six and a half or so. Um, You could just drop down into the river and walk from bank to bank. Once they crossed, the migrants began to gather on the U.S. side of the border in a sort of strange no man's land. What I think a lot of people don't realize is the border in Texas with the Rio Grande, the border is actually in the middle of the river. Mm -hmm. And so there's often this huge gap of space, sometimes a mile and a half, two miles, where the nearest infrastructure would sit, the border wall, if you will. That's pretty far back. So you have all this sort of wiggle room of space. And that's where they were asked to stay. And they did. Border Patrol basically said, if you guys could just stay here, 
they started to set up some food service. They brought in pallets of water. They brought in portable toilets. And folks did stay there. There were so many people asking for asylum in one spot that immigration officials had to come up with a new system for how to process everyone. They gave everyone a ticket with a number, kind of like at the DMV, which is not how things are normally done. Traditionally, when migrants cross the U.S. border, they'll surrender. Unless you're evading the Border Patrol and you run back south, once you've crossed that threshold and you're encountered by Border Patrol, that's the end of your border journey. You're taken into custody, you're processed, and then you move on through the system, whatever outcome that may be in the immediate. That was not this. This was you cross the river, you go get a number, a ticket. The color of the ticket denoted were you a single adult, a family, or a pregnant woman. And then you waited. While the migrants waited, they went back and forth across the Rio Grande, getting food and supplies at a town in Mexico called Ciudad Acuna. Anybody who wanted could, from the Mexican side or the U.S. side for that matter, anybody who was in the camp, jump into the river and then just make that trip as often as you liked. And people were. All day, I saw people coming and going, leaving the camp, coming into Ciudad Acuna, buying food, drinks, diapers, bags of ice, and then carrying them back. As people were crossing back and forth, videos started going viral on social media, showing U.S. Border Patrol agents on horseback aggressively trying to keep migrants from returning to the U.S. side and threatening them with their reins. In some cases, yelling at them to get back to the river. Uh, In one case, there's a video of an agent uh, demeaning Haiti, describing it with a a curse word. You use your women? This is why your country... And they they are aggressively trying to corral migrants. So is is that a typical way that horseback or border patrol agents treat migrants? I've not seen that before. Certainly over the course of my reporting and over the course of generalized coverage of the border patrol, there have been many allegations of mistreatment and abuses by border patrol agents. I can't recall a vivid image of this sort that I've seen before. So what, what's been the fallout to those videos? Lots of condemnation, particularly from Democratic lawmakers and civil and human rights activists. The agents are not currently on the line, which is sort of Border Patrol speak for patrolling. And the Horse Patrol is out of the area for now. President Joe Biden called the behavior of the Border Patrol agents, quote, outrageous. The Department of Homeland Security says it's conducting an investigation. Alicia says that part of the reason so many migrants are coming to the U.S. border now is because they thought President Biden would be friendlier towards immigrants than President Trump. But the Biden administration has continued many of the Trump administration's policies, saying it needs time to work out a more comprehensive solution. And the administration, you know, in its earliest days, made statements to the effect of, don't come now, leaving the implied promise of, there will be a time. And that language has changed to say, don't come. How do the immigrants who are arriving on the southern border feel about how they're being treated by the Biden administration? You know, I I haven't had a lot of people call out President Biden directly, um, whereas, you know, a year ago, two years ago, migrants would call out President Trump by name. Um, But there's a lot of discussion. I was was standing in the bus station in Ciudad Acuna earlier this week, and a man unprompted came up to me and said, Americans were just 
terrible people. Wow. That they had treated him and his his family this way. And shortly after we spoke, other migrants who I had spoken with who had left the camp as well boarded a bus for Mexico City. It's a 22-hour bus trip back south. But their plan was, like thousands of others, to try to make a life in Mexico. We don't know the fate of all of these folks, but we know that for now, many thousands, we suspect, have turned back. The camp was completely cleared over the weekend. Migrants were either turned away or let in to pursue their asylum claims in the U.S. Migrants like Evelt and his wife. They were one of 266 or so people who, in that first big push of moving people out of the camp, were released into the United States. Muy alegría. Mucho, mucho alegría. His plan was was to move on into the interior and reunite with relatives. Didn't have much plan beyond that, other than he was incredibly grateful to not be in the camp any longer, he said, and was hopeful to start a life in the United States. But many others are getting deported back to Haiti. And that's been controversial. Last week, the U.S. Special Envoy to Haiti resigned in protest, criticizing the Biden administration for deporting Haitians to a, quote, collapsed state. And for many of these Haitians, returning to Haiti brings up a host of questions. Here's our colleague Juan again. Many of them haven't been in in Haiti for 10 years, for example, eight years. And now you are returning to a country that you don't even know, perhaps. And your children are foreign-born are Chilean citizens, for example, or Brazilian. That's why Mexican officials are discussing with Chilean and Brazilian officials the possibility of of returning the Haitians to Chile, uh, not to Haiti, because their children are Chilean nationals. And so if you have to return them, it would make much more sense to return them to Chile. That's all for today, Monday, September 27th. The Journal is a co-production of Gimlet and The Wall Street Journal. Additional reporting in this episode by Ryan Dubay, Michelle Hackman, and Kijal Vyas. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow.